Hey y'all, my name is Eric. I'm the lead pastor at Emmanuel and Hookset. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast. Our goal is to be a blessing to everyone who listens as you continue on your journey of faith. It's also our hope that you'll be encouraged to find a church to belong to so you can plug into that congregation and bless others with the gifts and experiences that God has entrusted you with. Well, I hope this podcast is a blessing to you and encourages you to get out there and be the blessing. God bless. Series on repentance and restoration. And this really could go back into the Good Roots series because we're going to talk a little bit more about the church this morning. Repentance and restoration. We talk about repentance, and as I mentioned to start the series, it, sounds, it, it can sound scary, this word repentance. And, you know, maybe you've watched some movies, maybe you've seen Footloose, and there's this really legalistic pastor and uh, adding so many trappings to the Word of God to control people's lives, Right? You're not allowed to dance. So uh, I went to a wedding yesterday, and I danced. Can I, can I confess that? Um, well, I don't know that I danced, but I moved like I was having a seizure. Um, it's really hard to get Trish to dance with me because she, she can dance, and she looks at me like a stork in handcuffs or leg cuffs. Uh, But it's sad that pastors and churches have so tarnished the gospel with all of these extra-biblical trappings where a call to repentance is an ugly thing. We are called to repent of our sin, of our sinful mindset. And it's a beautiful thing. And I prayed... At the opening of the service, I was going through my daily Sabbath and and coming to the Lord and confessing sin to Him and bringing it to the cross, and He was was washing it away, and it was paid in full, and it was an amazing thing. And then I said, Lord, search my heart, O God, and and show me where I have have fallen into sin or where where my mind is not in line with yours. And and as I'm I'm praying that, I know you're going to be shocked, but, but things came to mind that I hadn't thought of when I started. And so what do I do about that? I go back to that repent and confess. And you know what he did? He, 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 pays in, he pays it in full. He washes it clean. Washed clean. And then, and then I moved on to the last part. And I said, oh Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit. I claim the gift that you have offered to me. Now you may or may not feel it. It doesn't really matter what you feel. What matters is what God says. Feelings will catch up. Feelings are terrible dictators. So this is what repentance does for us. It restores our fellowship with God. It restores our fellowship with one another. It restores our joy that we're supposed to be living in every day. It restores our hope so that when people see us, they ask us for for, for the reason that we are so hopeful. That's what's supposed to happen. And that's what repentance does. It gives us this restoration. We, we looked over the last few weeks of the powerful path of repentance. And one is you have to really recognize that you have a problem with your heart, that you have a problem with your will. 
And you've got to go to the, you've got to go to your maker and ask him and work with him to break up that fallow ground of your heart. Your heart is like soil. And if you, if you leave it barren for a while, a crust grows over that heart and it gets hard. And we ask him to break up that ground so the seed of the word of God can grow again. Created me a clean heart. We looked at worldly sorrow versus godly grief and And worldly sorrow leads to darkness and it leads to death. It leads to a joyless existence, especially as a believer. If you're wallowing in self-pity and you're wallowing in sin and you allow discouragement to reign in your life, your joy is stolen, your hope is diminished, and your testimony is powerless. Think about that for a moment or two. Do you have something that others want? Well, I contend if you know Jesus, you do. Do they know you have something that they need? Well, I contend if you're not walking closely with Jesus, they don't know. They don't see it. We need to constantly be walking with the Lord and when He When he convicts us of sin, there should be a godly grief. There should be a mourning over our sinfulness and a mourning over the the brokenness of our fellowship with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That should bother us. Blessed are those who mourn. And we talked about a daily Sabbath that I opened with. Well, I I hope you take notes. I hope you uh, grab the images off Facebook. I hope that you see... Um, the tools that, that I'm trying to give you. This is, a, this is a wallpaper. I know you all can't see it, but if you're on our Facebook page, it's facebook.com slash Emmanuel hooks it. And this is just an image I created to remind me to create that habit of a daily Sabbath, daily practice, coming to Jesus, worshiping, confessing. So it's on my phone. I made... This, to, this will work with Samsungs and iPhones. You may have to adjust it if you have something else. But how many of you, how many of you are doing that? If I asked you to raise your hands, and I won't, how many of you, five out of the last seven days, have approached the Lord in the morning with a daily Sabbath? How many of you have Come to Him in worship. How many of you have confessed sin, repented? That means to change your mind. Lord, I agree with you that what I've done is wrong and it's against your will and it's against your nature and I ask that you would forgive me, cleanse me by your blood that you shed on the cross and I know that that penalty has been paid in full. How many of you this week followed up with search me, O God? Know my heart. Try the reins of my heart. Show me where I have fallen out of alignment with you. Show me where I have sinned against you and against others. And and then how many of you have followed through with repentance and confession? And then finally, how many of you asked the Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit today? I ask for and accept the gift that you have offered. Fill me with your Spirit. How many hands would we have raised in this church, I wonder? How many of of us come to a Sunday morning service to 
to fulfill an obligation. How many of us think that church is a social club? How many of us forget that when we come to church, we come to meet with God in a corporate and unique way, in a way that He has commanded us? How many of you recognize that the preaching of the Word of God, the the pastors that God has given you are a gift to you from God Himself. That you have the freedom to walk into this building and to sit and hear the Word of God taught and preached openly. And that gift has been given to you. How many of us walk away and never give it another thought and forget the abundant blessings that God has poured out on you How many of us walk away and we're forgetful hearers like it says in James? Do not forget what you have heard. When you look into the perfect law of liberty, the mirror of the word of God, act on it. How many, how many of us walk out of this door and forget what we've heard? I was talking to a pastor, a friend of mine, and And sometimes pastors burn out. And one of the reasons, I think, is that we take more responsibility upon ourselves than is due. We are responsible to model the Word of God and following God as an imperfect person. Uh, We are responsible to teach and to preach the Word of God as it is to people where they are. And we're responsible to know the estate of our flocks. We're responsible to to be in tune with our church so that we can preach and teach what our church needs, not what the world needs, not not what the church down the street needs, but our church. These are our responsibilities to give ourselves to the Word of God in prayer. But we can't go into your homes. We can't twist your arm. We can't set up boundaries and walls we now have passed the responsibility on to you. It's your responsibility now. And if you're a believer here this morning, you should know that you will be held account. You will be held to account. And I hope that you'll begin to take the Word of God and the preaching of the Word of God seriously. We talked about the need for a breakthrough and the spiritual warfare that ensues. How many of you would say, hey, I tried to do this daily Sabbath, and it was so difficult? Would anybody say, would you raise your hand? I tried this week to do it, and it was difficult to get there. It was difficult to get into the presence. It was difficult to push through things. You were in a spiritual battle, a spiritual battle. You may have had demons trying to resist your desire to get into the presence of God, you may have your own flesh that's afraid of what's it going to be like if I actually start to walk close to Jesus. What's he going to ask of me? What's he going to take out of my life? What is this going to be like? All of those things we need to break through. We need to break through. And and you find that when you get into the presence of Jesus, let me tell you something. Whatever you're thinking uh, that that you're going to lose, you're going to gain. That's what godly grief does for us. We, we gain something through losing. He calls you to give something up. Uh, you're gaining something that is of incredible value and worth that will eclipse 
whatever it is that he's calling you to let go of. It's amazing that when you come into the presence of Christ and it becomes a practice in your life, how it eclipses everything else and how the joy of your salvation is greater than the joy of a new iPad or a new iPhone or whatever it may be, new shoes, right, Angel? I was in, I was in the designer shoe warehouse, is that, is that what it's called, next to Guitar Center? And uh, I was looking at shoes, because I like shoes. And I know it's weird, but um, I particularly liked Steve Madden for a while. And I was looking at some of his shoes, and I thought, what happened to him? He's gotten boring. I'm like, these shoes are, are kind of lame. So I was thinking, I should design shoes. So I'm a designer, I should design shoes. Now that's just bizarre. It's just bizarre. Why did I go there? I have no idea. I'm going to claim COVID brain once again. More joy than shoes. Thank you. Thank you, Pat. More joy than shoes. And I know I'm not the only one. I know there's other guys. You're just ashamed to admit it. They all like shoes. It's not just a girl thing. And we talked about how how when we draw near to God, He draws near to us. And this was the big one from last week. You remember this one? How many of you were moved last week by that statement? God wants me. You don't have to raise your hand. You know, we are so conditioned to believe that we are nothing. And it's true. Without Jesus, we are nothing. We can do nothing without Him. But Jesus wants me, and that makes me valuable. Jesus wants me, and that makes me a treasure. Matter of fact, if you've come to Christ, you are a trophy of His grace. Let's think about Job. Hey, have you considered my servant Job? God bragging on Job, who is a sinful man just like the rest of us. Sometimes we elevate these biblical personalities and give them a godlike status or an angelic status. Well, Paul, well, he was an apostle. We couldn't possibly be like Paul. Yes, you can. Oh, yes, you can. We couldn't ever endure the things that Paul endured. Yes, you can. He said, no man stood by me. And what did Paul say? But the Lord stood by me. He knew he had Jesus with him. And with Jesus, he was full. The Lord stood with him. The Lord's never away from you. Take a look at John 15. Verse number five, I am the vine and you are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit for without me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's cast out as a branch and is withered and they gather them together or they gather them and throw them in the fire and they're burned. If you abide in me and my words in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Let me press pause on that. If you abide in me and my word abides in you, Ask what you desire, and it will be done for you. Let's clarify the desire part. If you abide in Jesus, and His Word abides in you, your desires align perfectly with His. 
you follow? There are those who are anti-Christian and anti-Bible, and they'll take this verse and they'll say, see that, you prayed for that, and God didn't give it to you. Well, if you're praying for something and God is not giving you this, it's probably because you're not abiding in Him, and His Word is not rooted deeply in you, and your desire is out of alignment, right, with God. Okay? By this the Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. As my Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. Just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken to you that my, what does it say? My joy may remain in you. And that your joy may be full. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. Let's pause here too. We just talked about coming to the Friday worship service. We had a, we had a good Friday service this year. And, and, and let me just say shame on the church for not coming out to worship Jesus on that Friday when we opened the doors. It doesn't show a love for your brothers and sisters in Christ. It doesn't show a love for your church. When on one of the most important days of the year, the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that purchased for us our redemption falls down the scale of importance. Now understand there's things that come up. This is not a guilt trip, but it's a challenge for us to check our priorities, check our hearts. Check our hearts. He tells us to love one another as Christ has loved us, and greater love has no one than this, than to lay one's life down for his friends. And you are my friends if you do whatever I commanded you, and no longer do I call you servants, for a servant doesn't know what his master is doing, but I've called you friends for all things that I have heard from my Father I've made known to you. You're my friends. Once again, Let's press pause. You, if you have come to Jesus and obeyed the gospel, trusted in Christ to be your personal Savior, and you are following Him, He is your friend. And you are His friend. Like, there's, there's, a, there's a push to diminish that kind of relationship with God. There's some churches, they challenge that. God, not your friend. Oh, Jesus is my friend. And they make fun of it. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say about that? I have called you friends to his disciples. I have called you friends. That's a phileo kind of love. There's an agape love where it's a love of the will. And there's a love of affection which is a friendship kind of love. Now, I grew up not popular. I know it shocks you, because really? How could that happen? I still look back at it, and I'm kind of stunned. I'm like, I don't get it. And then I look at the old picture of me with Trish, and then I'm like, oh, I get it. I get it. And I have a lot of friends growing up. In fact, I was bullied all through grammar and middle school until I punched a kid in the head in high school. And then it all stopped, thank God. 
My dog and my comic books were my best friends. My dog Titan and my comic books. That's why I love going to Marvel movies to this day. It, 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 was, it meant something to me when I was a kid, and it kind of brings it all back, and it's, it's fun. I enjoy it. But I had another friend who was Jesus. If you know Christ and you love others as he's commanded us, he's your friend. I have called you friends. Now be my friend. Come into fellowship with me. Break through those barriers. I am your friend. Could you imagine Jesus saying, hey, you want to hang out today? I'm not kidding. You want to hang out with me today? Who would say no to that? Who would say no to that? Oh, sorry, Lord, I'm going to do this. But it's not even Jesus saying, hey, you want to hang out with me today? He's saying, oh, I'll go with you to do that. That sounds like fun. Let's do it. We think Jesus is a killjoy. Let's go. He wants to be your friend. In fact, he said he is your friend, but are you his? Are you his? And we go on. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. And whatever you ask the Father in my name, he may give you. He's chosen you. Anybody ever feel lonely today? Anybody feel lonely today? Maybe you're married and you're lonely because your relationship with your spouse is just not what it could be. I know a lot of those of you that are single, and I've talked to a lot of people. I I led a young adult group, and I led a student ministry group. I think I led young adults. It's going back a ways. You always have people that are lonely, and then you have people that are older who never found the one who are lonely. And they forget that Jesus has chosen them. He is their friend and he is enough. Let him fill the voids. The scary part about marriage is if you're going into marriage because you're looking for someone to fill God's place in your life, they will never measure up to what you need. We're supposed to represent Jesus in our marriages, right, men? But we're not Jesus, ladies. And I know some of you are really struggling to understand that. Like, Trish is probably like, what? Wait a second. We're going to fail you. We're going to fall. We're going to mess up. We're not going to consider you. We're not going to do what you like. We're not going to remember your stupid anniversary or your birthday or all those... Why are you shaking your head? It's your anniversary? Oh, you remembered. Congratulations. You dodged a bullet. It shouldn't be a bullet to dodge. Oh, Lord, I'm going to go down a rabbit hole. Stick to your notes. Okay. I haven't actually got to my notes yet. So, These things I command you that you love one another. And there's, there's this word abide. There's this word abide that we're looking at and we talked about the daily Sabbath and we talked about coming to Jesus and, and this is 
where I really wanted to challenge you that the daily Sabbath, the daily practice, is not the end, right? It's the beginning of your day. It's not the end. It's, it's not do this and you're all set for the rest of the day. I had to learn this the hard way. I did my daily Sabbath. I went about my day. Didn't realize I was leaking the Holy Spirit. The filling was, was getting lower. The next thing I knew, I was falling into sin or I was falling into disobedience, which is sin. And, and I'm going, well, the daily Sabbath doesn't work. Might as well not do it anymore. But the daily Sabbath orients our beginning. And then Jesus says, abide in me, stay in me. It's not enough to start the morning in worship and prayer. We must stay with Jesus. We must fellowship with Jesus. We must abide in him throughout the day. Mr. Morin was my teen director, our youth pastor, and he used to always teach this lesson. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, pray without ceasing. And man, when you come into the presence of God in that morning and you begin to develop that relationship with Jesus, oh, amazing things happen. It's said of Charles Spurgeon, he was a great preacher in the late 1800s. He was, he was a pastor of the London uh, Metropolitan Tabernacle. His sermons were, were, were um, printed regularly in newspapers. He had to ask his church family to come to church on Sunday night to make room for visitors to come on Sunday morning. I mean, this guy, he's called the Prince of Preachers. And he struggled with depression. Again, we, we elevate these men as heroes and we think that they're flawless. He struggled with depression and, uh, and some sickness. Oh, but he was a great man of God. He preached the word of God so eloquently and so beautifully and so impactfully. And he commented on the daily problems that were going on in London and the UK and the world. And, and this is what it said of him, though. So I find more remarkable than, than even the sermons that he preached. This is what is said of him. He would be sitting at dinner at a meal. Can you see it? The table is set. There's friends and family around. Glasses are being clinked and silverware is being used. And He's sitting there and he's talking and and when he talks, people want to listen because he's Charles Flippin' Spurgeon, like he is the celebrity preacher. And, and then he just looks over and starts talking to Jesus as if Jesus was in the room. And people were kind of like, well, what are you doing? He's like, oh, I'm just having a conversation with Jesus. We were having a conversation earlier and just thought I'd pick it up. Bizarre. I'm not going to say I recommend praying out loud like that, but um, the reality of Christ in his life was so powerful that when he sat down at a dinner table, he didn't sit down alone. His friend was with him. When he was in the throes of depression, I believe he had a biological disorder, a medical condition. He wasn't alone in it. Jesus was with him. 
And in the early days, he used to lament these seasons of the soul, these dark seasons of the soul. And, and as he grew older, he began to just simply thank God for them. Because he would draw closer to the light of Jesus. It's an amazing thing when we begin to realize that Jesus said he has called us friends. Indicating he wants us to accept him as a friend and be a friend to him. And he tells us to abide. To abide. To stay continually with him. And then he says joy. He's, he's concerned about our joy. Dude, that's amazing. He's concerned that we have his joy and that we have a fullness of joy. In the midst of depression, it's an amazing thing that he cares so much about us. I, I told you these things so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. What things did he just get done telling us, do you think? It's on the screen. What? It's on the screen. What, are, what, what is contingent? What is our joy contingent upon? What is it? What does abide mean? Stick with, stay with, be with. Constantly. Abide. In your Bibles to First Peter chapter three, and who is he will harm? Who is he who will harm you if you become followers of what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you are blessed. Peter talks about joy too, but here he's talking about suffering, and he says if you suffer for for good. You are blessed and do not be afraid of their threats, nor be troubled, but sanctify the Lord God in your hearts and always be ready to give a defense to everyone who asks you a reason for the hope that is in you with meekness and fear, having a good conscience that when they defame you as evildoers, those who revile your good conduct in Christ may be ashamed because they're lying and they're wrong. Too often they're right. Because we don't take seriously our Christian walk. For it's better if it's the will of God to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. The will of God might be for us to suffer for doing good? Yes. Yes. The Apostle Paul was shown the suffering that he must suffer before he went on the mission field. And he went anyways. God calls us to suffer. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. So if you're here this morning and you have not come to Jesus alone for the salvation of your eternal soul, I'm begging you, don't put this off. Don't put it off. He suffered for you. He paid the penalty for your sin. He, he did this so that in the high court of heaven, you're declared not guilty, past, present, and future. And so that as we walk in this earth and, and, and we fall and we fail, in heaven we're not guilty. And on earth we can bring our sin to the foot of the cross and be cleansed so that our fellowship can be restored and our joy can be full. You've got to know Jesus. He's real. 
He's not a figment of your imagination. You can walk with him. You can abide in him daily. That's not exclusive to Charles Spurgeon, you know. Somebody said about D.L. Moody, another amazing preacher of the 1800s. Late 18, he was a contemporary of Spurgeon. And he was uneducated and not quite as eloquent as Spurgeon. He was, uh, he was eloquent in his own way. And, and it was said of him that uh, this one individual said, I would rather sit at the table with D.L. Moody and listen to him pray than be in the sanctuary and listen to him preach. Because his prayers were so sincere and you knew that he was talking to God and he was approaching the Father as a child with just this unbridled, childlike faith, this confidence that his daddy was hearing him. Folks, that's not exclusive to D.L. Moody. It's not exclusive to D.L. Moody. So here we see Peter now saying that we are to sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. Sanctify the Lord God in our hearts. What does that mean? It means to set God apart in your heart, to give him a place in your heart. It's, it's intentional. It's abiding. It's, it's being with in a constant way. He sits on the throne. Have a sanctuary in your heart. Pray without ceasing. Be intentional about it. How many of you have thought of that visually? I know not everyone here is a visual thinker, but maybe I'll be doing a, a, an image of this so you can put it on your phones or on your desktops. How many of you have thought about creating a sanctuary in your heart? You ever thought of that? Setting apart God in your heart, having a, having a, a place of worship in your heart that you can go to any time of day. It's always there. When you're lonely, when you're angry, when you're sad, when you're discouraged, when you're upset, you can go to that sanctuary and God is there. He is sanctified in your heart. Imagine how amazing that would be as you go through life and there's Jesus hanging out in your heart, sitting on the throne of your life. How beautiful is that? Can you imagine that? Can you picture it? Because that's what Peter is telling us to do. Sanctify God in your heart. I don't know, that's good. Preach it, I will. Hope. Peter seems to think that hope should be typical for the believer in Christ. It should be typical for the believer in Christ. We should be ready to give an answer for the hope that's in us. We can have the worship team come forward. We should be ready to give an answer for this abiding joy, this peace in our life that, that makes no sense. I want to be following Jesus until they nail my coffin shut. Have you ever thought of how long you're going to be faithful to Christ? Has that ever crossed your mind? Will you give up? Will you throw the towel in when it gets hard? You 
You know, I, I've been transparent with this church, and I know that some of y'all are used to it. The last year was hard for us. It was really, really hard. Oh, man, there were times where I did want to throw the towel in. In fact, I preached only 12 sermons out of the first 24 weeks of last year. You guys remember that? It wasn't a vacation. <laughs> it was one day calling Peter. Saying, are you, are you up Sunday? It's like, not that I know of. I'm like, okay, I got it. And Peter, being sensitive to the Spirit, said, what's going on? What's going on? And then I, I told him what's going on with our, with our family, with my boy. And he says, I'll take Sunday. I'll take Sunday for you. And then him and the guys worked out a schedule that if pastor couldn't make it on a Sunday, they were ready for that week. What a church we have. What a family we have so amazing the hope that we have in Christ is connected to our brothers and sisters in Christ we are the hands and the feet and the heart and the mind of Jesus to each other and to the world I can't tell you the times that I've witnessed and, and shared, shared my testimony with people following Kirsten's birth and, and near death and her cerebral palsy and her surgeries and her psychotic breaks and all the things we went through with my K-Dog. And, uh, and I said, I don't know where I would be. Obviously without Jesus. But I don't know where we would be without you. Without you. You're our family. Hey all thanks for listening to this podcast. If you'd like to know more, please go to our website, emmanuelhooksit.com, where you'll find helpful links and resources, and where you can contact us directly. That web address again is emmanuelhooksit.com. Bless God, get out there, and be the blessing.